it's good to be with you guys. <clears throat> Grab your Bibles and go with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It's good to be with you guys. It's been a year, so you're back. Um, as you guys are turning there, I always want to make you aware, um, I am here literally until next Monday, not at this church, but at different locations. But tomorrow night, I will be in the chapel at 7 o'clock, and I want to encourage you to come. Tomorrow night's a little bit different. We do equipping, and we're teaching on the prayer ministry specifically. Not just why we ought to pray, but the different, what we would call models of prayer. And we're in a really interesting time right now where we're working through deliverance, uh, deliverance prayer works. So last, last month, we spent a lot of fun time, right before Christmas, if you guys can imagine, we talked about how to break the power of witchcraft in your life. This month, we're going to work on deception, people being deceived, how, does, how, how do you pray for them to get broken out of deception? So if you're interested in that, you've never covered that, or you'd like to learn how God actually does that, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, we'll be over in the chapel, and it's just open to everybody, and I have people ask me this quite a bit, so I'm going to just refer to this real quick. Let's say that you've been hearing me say for months, hey, I'm gonna, I've been doing these meetings, and uh, please come and you think, well, I didn't start at the beginning, I probably have missed a lot. Each one of the times we teach, it's its own individual unit. You're going to get something out of it if you've never come before. You're going to get something out of it, and you can join at any point and continue on. We, we always do always a review stuff, and then we go into something new. And so you've not missed anything. Come and join us. I, I recommend, I think you'll be blessed. With that being said, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 14, um, I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God tonight uh, and explain some things the Lord's been showing me about this year. And so we'll start here in verse 14. It says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, interesting enough, a lot of people, when they <clears throat> say, Well, what is it that Jesus... What's Jesus' main message, or what is it that Jesus taught on? And they usually go to a parable. But it's funny, Jesus actually didn't teach salvation. Most people believe that's what he came to teach. He made reference to it, but actually he taught on the kingdom of God. That was his main message. So when he got with his disciples, he trained them about the kingdom. But whenever he stood in front of crowds, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he would describe parables about the kingdom. He would tell you how God actually works in the kingdom. He even told us how different ages would respond to the kingdom. He talked about what it meant to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. And so the message of Jesus was the kingdom of God. Now, interesting enough, in this passage, he's actually coming into a city. And if you've never seen this before, historically, when generals would come into regions and they were going to conquer them, they would proclaim something. This kingdom has come. And they would announce it to every person that was going to take up arms against them or any false, I'm sorry, any person that believed they had authority, this general would announce it. And he's basically saying, I'm going to take you over. And so when Jesus comes into human history and he's coming to the nation of Israel, he says, hey, the time has been fulfilled. I'm taking over. And most people don't see this because after the 
Protestant Reformation started and the church was dealing with what is salvation and coming back to that and the, and the church coming back to its normal thing, it's kind of missed the whole focus on Jesus being a king. Certain groups have emphasized it, but really, most people don't talk about Jesus. You know, we call him Lord, and that's kind of an endearing thing we say, but he really is a king. And the Bible refers to him as a king, and it talks about his kingdom coming and him ruling and reigning. And that all human history, from the point of him dying and being resurrected, is heading towards this point where he's going to come and be Lord of Lords and Kings of Kings. He is going to take over. It, there is this historical, cataclysmic battle going on in human history, and you and I are now living it. And so we're in a time where the kingdom is now expressing itself uh, in our day and age while we're alive. So the question now becomes, what is God doing in the day that we live compared to the generations before us? If you've never, if any of you had any time to look at the kingdom of God, you realize that the Bible refers to the kingdom of God as a mountain. In fact, it's used in Daniel chapter 2, very interesting, when Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Uh, Daniel interprets it, and he, he actually has this idol, which is the kingdom of men, and they're made out of different elements. And this rock that's not hewn by human hand comes and crushes it, smashes it, brings it into utter ashes, and it says the wind actually blows it away. And then it refers to this rock, and it says... This rock, it goes from a rock to the greatest mountain in human history. Now what the Bible is actually saying is, we all know that the rock represents the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he came, he, he crushed all forms of idolatry and false leadership. And what it's actually saying is, is how does the kingdom of God work? It starts in a small measure and it becomes the greatest thing. By the end of human history, Nothing will stand in the way of the power and the authority and the kingdom of God. Nothing. So if you've been given this end times teaching where, well, you know, the Antichrist is going to take over and we're going to get beans and move to Estes Park and live in camps, then you've been given a false gospel because that is not how Jesus is going to finish this up. Okay? There's going to be kingdoms expressing themselves. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness are going at each other all the time, but the kingdom of God is going to prevail. It does in every generation. And so the thing that's interesting about this and what we're going to cover tonight about the kingdom, is I'm not going to lay all the aspects of it down. I'm going to focus on a specific part, but I want you to understand this. If it said the kingdom of God started as a rock and it becomes the greatest mountain, there's, there means that at different times in human history, you're on different parts of the mountain. And you're getting a different vantage point of what's going on in human history compared to the people who were there when it was a rock. And so because we're on a different, every time a year eclipses and we move closer to the Son of God appearing again, we are climbing a greater mountain and a higher expression of God on the planet. That's what it means. The kingdom of God is the rule of God on this planet. And because of that, what we knew 10 years ago, how the kingdom functioned, is completely different in this day that we live in. It is not diminished, it is advanced. You and I, whether we recognize it or not, are caught on a kingdom that is going higher all the time. And it's pointing to the idea that at the peak of this mountain is going to be the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are 
the Bible describes it this way. We are going from glory to glory, from faith to faith. It means it's an ever-increasing experience. So, are you guys like I am? I usually think, well, if we're ascending this mountain of to the day when the Lord appears, how do I live? How do I live in that day? Well, one thing is, is you can't go back down the mountain and try to recreate what happened in past generations. You have to possess it in your generation and keep going higher. And so that means every generation has to have what we would call a fresh revelation of how Jesus is ruling as king in the day that we live in. And so that's what's going on in our, our day. I, I, I watch the news like you guys do, and it depends obviously on who you watch, but everyone's like lamenting. Well, it's over. The world is over. Um, that would be true if there is no God. But God doesn't sit back and say, wow, I, I just didn't see that coming. God knows exactly what's going on, and we as his people have got to learn to rise above what we hear in our everyday conversations and what we talk about, and we have to connect with the heart of God and say, what are you doing in the generation that I live, and how do I align with that? Please remember that Jesus says, how do you know you're actually doing what he's called you to do? Well, he gives it very simply in John chapter 8 where he says, Now, if you're my disciple, you're going to be where I'm at. And wherever I'm at, you're going to follow me there. And so he's actually talking about the fact that since he's king and he's Lord, your focus is what he's doing, not what the generations are doing. Fallenness of man, if you guys recognize watching humanity, once you meet Christ, <clears throat> he opens your eyes. You become alive. You come into a new quality of life. That's why the word eternal life is interesting. It's never-ending zoe, which means never-ending quality of life. You're experiencing it now. So when you drop off your body or you physically die, you don't stop living. You, you've now experienced the quality of life, and you're in that kingdom now. So the kingdom of this age, we're in the middle of it. We're to what? What are we to do if we're of that age where we're living in fallenness and this age is coming to an end? How do we live in it? Well, Jesus comes to us and says, your job is to occupy and rule until I come. Now, I don't know when you guys met the Lord. You might have met him last week. Some of you might have known him for a very long time. But when I came into the kingdom, the, the church was trying to figure out how to get out of here as fast as it could. It wasn't about ruling or reigning with Jesus. It was about where is the Antichrist, what's the mark of the beast, and how can I get out of here so I don't have to retire? The problem is, is all, that was great when we were in our 20s, but now we're all getting in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, and we're having to face reality. So you guys Ready? There's no escape plan. We have to occupy our generation. We have to rule in our generation. Jesus is a king. He expects you to rule like him as a king in your generation. And that's what we're going to look at. So my focus tonight is going to be on the power and the authority of the kingdom of God and how you and I are to exercise it in the day and age which we live in. Power and authority in the kingdom of God. So... When God created you in his image, you are now to represent him. That's what it means to be made in his image and his likeness. You are to represent him in the world that he's placed you in. So you get to be the image bearer of God. You get to, when 
everybody looks at you, they go, well, that's what God is like. Now, the problem with fallenness is because of the filth and the mud and the evil of fallenness, we've lost that image or that image-bearing thing, and now we've kind of taken on the image of the evil one and filth. And so when God redeems us, now he's pointing back at people that know the Lord Jesus Christ, and he goes, now, this is what I look like. Well, in regards to the idea of authority and power, I don't, I, it's kind of amazing there are some sections of the body of Christ that they want to talk about the love of God and they want to say, well, I'm going to express love, but I'm, I'm not going to express power or authority. You cannot express the love of God unless you're moving in power and authority. Those ideas are not separated. Some, for some odd reason, when we teach on them, we teach, well, either I'm going to be a lover of God or I'm going to move in power and authority. And the Bible never separated those ideas at all. In fact... Jesus went about doing good and destroying all that were under the works of the devil to show the love of God. Uh, the very fact of it was, is he got tired of people being oppressed by the devil. And he believed that it was our job to know the love of God, but express it in a very tangible way, and that's by, by moving in power and authority. So... You and I were created in the very image of God because we were, we were actually created and designed to manage power and authority. Now, this is amazing in the day and age we live in. There are three categories that the Bible talks about that shows if you understand how to live in the day and age you live in. And you ready? It's actually kind of funny. It's money, sex, and power. Money, sex, and power. Those are the three main themes that the Bible talks about, and it says, this is how you know how well you know the Lord, by how you manage your money, by what you do with your sexual life, and what you do with power. Why is that? Because all of those have influence to change and mold people. Now, interesting enough, when we take those three areas, because fallen man also works in those three areas, they pollute it with evil. And so if you grow up in a culture, when you watch the culture unredeem mankind, and this is their nature, they don't even see themselves being this way, it is their nature to take money and use it for wrong things. Selfishness, the propagation of evil, they, it's a tool, but they use it incorrectly. Sex, they take sexual reality and they turn it inward on themselves and they use people and they manipulate people and it's all about just gratification at the end of the day and yet here God has given us this. And then power. See, all of these God has given us. We've been made in his image. He's given us and he's called it blessed but it depends on the person that engages in it what they do with it. Now, people, power is not wrong in the kingdom of God. Power itself is not wrong. It's the person and how they use it. So evil people use power to do what? Come in line with the kingdom of darkness and oppress people. They use power wrongly, pervertedly, to manipulate control and, and move in the spirit of witchcraft. And the effect is it's evil and it, it decimates people's lives. So money, sex, and power are not evil in and of themselves. Money, sex, and power are evil or good depending on the person that uses them. But God has created it for all of us to use it. And so the kingdom of God now comes to you and says, we're going to come into those three areas and you're going to learn how to rule in all three areas. 
So think about this, and I'm not going to cover the first two in a lot because I'm talking about power and authority. But if God gives you resources, this is kind of amazing. God's like a banker when it comes to money. And an investor. And so what he does is he gives you money, and then he says, what are you going to do with this? And if you're anything like me, I first get money and I spend it foolishly. And then I go give me more so I can be foolish more. And then God restricts it, and I go, why are you not meeting my needs? And he's trying to have a conversation with me. The reason why I'm not meeting your needs is because you're foolish with resources. And so then you and the Lord, you guys remember these conversations? You, you and the Lord have to go through this thing where it feels like God's not meeting your needs and he has to actually restrict his hand from blessing you with resources because you don't manage it well. The minute you change and you, and you die to self-centeredness and you say, okay, this is a resource, I'm going to use it based on godly biblical principles, the blessing of God comes back to you and now you begin to prosper whether you want to or not because you've come under his lordship when it comes to this arena in the kingdom. Let's take sex. Uh, um, God has given this to you to not only enjoy a person, but he's given it to you to reproduce and to understand what it means to create something. And when it's used incorrectly, it either can become an addiction or it could be something that brings great sorrow to people's lives. But if it's used properly, it creates the deepest form of connection with another individual like what you see going on in the Trinity. When it's used incorrectly, it creates all kinds of problems. When it's used properly, it refreshes the soul of men and women. Same thing with power, and that's what we're going to work on. God has created you. To have, and this is actually exciting, unlimited power move from him through you to change things. You were created to look at situations, and if it doesn't reflect what's going on in heaven or the nature of God, God wants to give you enough power to change that situation. Now, because we don't see it that way, we're, I think we're learning it now. I'm listening to everybody talk about, let's pray for what's going on in the government, all that stuff. You have to remember, the, ex the expression of power in the kingdom is always tied to the idea of authority. You cannot just release power on what you think should happen. You can only release power by what he says should happen. And that's what authority is. When God says, I want to do this, and you come into alignment with it, he releases enough power to create that change. Anywhere you don't come into alignment with him, the problem isn't with his power, it's you not coming in alignment with his authority. And so, if you guys are like I am, this is why Jesus says, if you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom, you have to die to yourself, pick up your cross, and you have to follow me. The whole idea of the cross is not my will, your will. And so God is now having a conversation with us. Every time a generation comes, they have to learn the church has to learn how to manage power. And God is wanting to release, isn't this funny? I, uh, I'm actually going to say something to you that's probably not what you're hearing. God is wanting to release more power to the church. And we're struggling with them in it because we're trying to tell them how we want the power to be released instead of saying, where do you want to release it? And so God is trying to come to you and I and say, let go of how you think the world should be run and let me do it. I know what works. 
I refer to this often because the, several years ago, um, the Lord took me on this really weird adventure. I've traveled to other nations periodically, and for some odd reason, I went to Africa just three years consecutively. And um, for me, that was an incredible learning curve because when I went to other nations, it's not that I didn't see the Lord move. It's just was, it was a unique moment in my life with the Lord where when I went to Africa, he did stuff so that I've never seen the Lord do. And periodically, he refers back to that and begins to have this class talk with me about this is how I rule. Because he did so many powerful things, I, I wondered after I came back from Africa all three times, am I even saved? Because I, the way he acted over there, and I came back here and I'm like, are you sleeping? What's going on? And everybody said, no, those are all missions trips. That's what mission trips are like. Jesus is powerful in other nations, and he's, he's taking naps in the United States. But... I've done missions trip with Jesus before, and I've never seen him do what he did in Africa and other missions, and I've seen him move powerfully in other missions trips. And so what was he, uh, in referring to the power and authority of the kingdom of God, what was he trying to show me? The first night we get there, he starts having a conversation with me, what do I do when I come into a city? And I'm like, I have no idea, what do you do when you come to a city? I thought he was going to say, well, I save everybody. And he actually told me, no, I actually come into cities and I take them over. And he says, and if you're not in alignment with me on that, you're going to think you're doing what I'm doing and I'm not doing that. And you're going to miss what I'm doing when I come to cities. I don't come into cities to play games with the kingdom of darkness. I come into cities to take them over. Because the kingdom of darkness has ravished cities, put people in bondage, and destroyed people's lives and created murder. God doesn't want to play games with them. He wants to overtake them. Now, I didn't know that until I got into Africa. We go into a city, and all of a sudden, the power of his authority came into that city, and he just, at the first day, started doing unbelievable things where people were just getting healed without us doing anything. He's breaking people out of bondage, and people are just being set free without us doing hardly anything. It was so powerful. I'm like, wow, why are you not doing this when I walk around in the United States? We would go do open air, cru uh, open air crusades or, or revival meetings where we'd preach the gospel. And we'd watch, I, I mean, I've, I've been trying to be kind as I could. We'd watch people respond to the Lord by the worst presentations of the gospel I've ever heard. And I was the one doing them. <laughs> and I mean, not just... Well, I might accept Jesus. I mean radically bringing people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Watching them shake under the power of God and scream that God was with them. Uh, in fact, at the end of the first year we went there, we had, uh, just to show you how God works, how powerful he is, we kept having this Muslim and this town drunk try to interrupt the meetings we were doing all the time. So we'd have that, while we do worship, this town drunk would try to be belligerent and try to interrupt it by just being disgusting while we're trying to do these open-air meetings. And I'm trying to, well, should we tackle him? I mean, what should we do? And the Lord just said, no, just leave him alone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this. Uh, okay, now what does that look like? And then we had a Muslim. Every time I'd get off stage, he would find me and would start having this debate with me on how... Uh, Muhammad is greater than Jesus, and he'd want to go back and forth with me. Now, if you know anything about me, I love arguing and fighting with people on this stuff, so I spent a long period of time doing that with him. And he, and he didn't come to the Lord, and, I'm like, and the Lord just, he said, Brian, he said, I want you to watch what I'm going to do here, because I'm going to change how you look at how to do things. 
So by the end of the week, we, uh, one of the team that I was with, they presented the gospel, and a, uh, like three or four or 500 people came to the Lord, and the town drunk just walked up to us without saying anything, fell on his knees in front of us, screamed, and got saved. The Muslim watched him and went over to him and put his hand on him and dropped to his knees and got saved. I'm watching that, and I'm like, how does that work? And the Lord says, well, when I show up in power, no one can resist this. Do you guys realize that? We're so used to trying to win argument. We think the power is based on intellectual arguments. We don't realize it's the raw power of God that causes people to see him and to come to him. And because we're uncomfortable with this, we, we well, is it okay to be in this arena? All the power that God has ever wanted to move through his people, he's made available to him. All he's been saying is, drop your agenda and jump onto mine. I'll give you as much power as it takes to convert your family and every city you live in if you'll stop saying, do it my way, and say, how do you want to do it? The kingdom only works by bowing to the lordship and the authority of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and what they're doing in a situation. Let's, let's look at another idea here. So the, mo the motivating purpose of the creation of the human race, this is going to be kind of interesting, was to actually subdue and dominate the earth to represent God on this planet. You were created to be a ruler. It, it's hard to tell this to believers. I don't, I don't know what it is. But people have a hard time balancing humility with ruling. It shouldn't be that hard, really. God just says you're a ruler. You just have to accept your identity, and then you realize the most effective way to rule is by being humble. Let's see if I can say it a better way than that. There's a movie. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It's called The Prince and the Pauper. Have any of you ever seen that movie? Or ever heard the story of The Prince and the Pauper? It's these, these people that switch identities. And a king has to go to be a pauper, and a pauper learns to live in a palace. Well, that's kind of the paradox of the kingdom of God. God comes as a king and lives as a pauper, so that a pauper can be raised up to the place of a king. And the interesting thing is, is once you accept your identity, remember it says he's the king of kings? Please understand this. In the kingdom of God, he is not the king of rebellious kings. That's not what the scripture says. It says he's the king of kings. So every person that is made in the image of God to represent him properly, if he's a king, he calls you a king. You're royalty. So if you're royalty, why are you not sitting on a throne enjoying all the benefits of being a king? Because he's taken you from that place into a place to serve so you can learn to go back to ruling again. You learn to be royalty by serving and expressing the power of God. You don't learn royalty by saying, give me my inheritance. You learn royalty by serving. It's the serving and the giving of the power of God that reestablishes your identity and your, what we call your true identity of being a king. And when I say this, I, women say, well, you mean a queen, king, and queen? No. This is one of those pronouns in the scriptures where it says women are kings. Just like men have to be brides in other passages. 
Women are king. There's a specific thing that God wants to get across. This isn't about trying to make sure you understand the difference or the distinction of males and females. God is trying to get across a principle to you. You are a king if you're in my kingdom and you represent me. You are not the victim. You are the authority. That's why the Bible comes to you and tells you things like you're not the tail, you're the head. You're to walk into every situation and say, I have authority here. Now, it, it takes a while to learn this. This is what the Bible has to work with you and I on all the time, doesn't it? Because most of us would rather play the victim. We think Jesus has called us to play the victim. How many of you um, have ever had the joy of studying suffering? Isn't that a great topic? When you study suffering, most people believe that the lifestyle and the call of the believer is to intentionally be, they take the word suffering, they misunderstand it, and they think that means victim. And so to be a Christian, you become a doormat, and you put up with everything. Now, the reality of it is, is that's true in one sense, but it's not true in another sense. You are to never lose your authority. Uh, identity or your authority in response to the kingdom of darkness. You are always the person that has authority in that realm. You never take yourself as a victim. You go after them and anywhere where they think they are allowed to rule, you displace them and get rid of them. You suffer when you're dealing with humanity because you have to put up with the effect of the enemy working through people that are deceived, causing grief on the planet. So suffering is living in a fallen world. That's the place where we learn to suffer. The reality of you and I as Christians is we are to never be a victim of the kingdom of darkness or any of the junk that he does in humanity through our families, through our bodies, through our lives. We are never to accept any of that. We are to always challenge it because we were created to accept that. We were created to rule over what God had created us to be on this planet for. We are to have dominion on this planet. Anytime you say that, it's kind of interesting. There's this look that comes over us until we get it biblically. I don't talk about dominion or ruling in the sense that fallen man does. It is not oppressive. It is the best form of government that God can give us. The church is the best form of government that God can give us if we understand it. Because Jesus commands leaders to serve and to give their lives as a ransom for many. Isn't that interesting? He calls you, if you're going to lead in the kingdom of God, to take the lowliest place so that other people raise up into their identity and into the likeness of God. That's the only form of leadership that God has his hand on. The rest of it, no matter what they say, if it has the attitude or the, the actions of the kingdom of darkness, God is not behind them. Let's keep moving on. So the, the result of God creating man, his desire was to extend his rulership from the supernatural realm to the natural realm. So you were created to constantly connect with the supernatural realm, grab the resources of power from that realm, and release it into the physical realm. Do you guys ever hear this? Was this ever said to any of you guys? You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Have you guys ever heard that statement thrown at you? That's actually the, it should be flipped the other way around. The more heavenly minded you are, the best you are for earthly good. 
The more you're earthly-minded, you're a waste to humanity. Because earthly things never have the supernatural component behind it that does not have the ability to re regenerate life, bring resurrection, heal people, set them free, break the power of fear, any of those things. Being fleshly in your thinking instead of being heavenly-minded is what is the problem on this planet. We have people thinking in limited ways instead of everything is possible in God. Now, if you guys, uh, just to kind of wrap this up and get on to some more topics here. If you've never done this, I'd encourage you to do this. I have a whole section of my library now that are called Heroes of the Faith. And I collect biographies of people that have done great things in God. And the reason why I do it, I used to read them and think I'll never be like that. I don't do that anymore. I read them to say what is possible in God. I should be going beyond what that person is doing. Remember, we're higher up on the mountain. We should be doing what they're doing and even going past it. That's what God is calling us to. And so if you have never developed a library of what you call your own heroes, begin to do it. Have people from the past challenge you to go on with the future. Isn't this funny? This is our generation. We all get to stand before the Lord someday and go, well, what, how did you express my authority and power in your generation? I don't want to be the person that says, well, I read a lot of books about everybody and thought that was cool. And I lived in a day and age where, where I just was in despair and I didn't use anything available from your kingdom to resolve any of it. I just kind of hid in my house, hoped the Broncos would win, and just waited for the next year. One person got the Bronco reference. Let's move on. <laughs> We're going to look at another scripture here, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24 through 26. Now, this is interesting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are now coming into Paul talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, it's really interesting. Just like we know the cross has a historical reference, and it has what we call an eternal reference. So... God told humanity his purpose for the cross. He said it before Christ came, and then in the New Testament, they described the spiritual realities of it after Christ came, even though he showed up his, historically, literally lived, died on the cross. Well, it's the same about the resurrection. The resurrection has a historical reality, but it also has what we call a kingdom or a spiritual reality to it. What was the purpose of the resurrection? Now, the purpose of the resurrection wasn't just to show us that Jesus has given us eternal life. Most people don't see this, but when you watch people read the gospel, they see the clear picture of Jesus, that he has come as the suffering servant. His life goal was to get on the cross and die for our sins, be laid in the ground for three days, and then they get over here to the resurrection and they go, and then he was raised. But the, there's actually a whole theology that is developed around resurrection thinking. Now, what is resurrection thinking? It's not that Jesus was just raised from the dead. There were some realities to when Jesus was raised from the dead that have incredible implications for your life. The first one is this. He's not the suffering servant anymore. 
When he was raised from the dead, he went from being the suffering servant, the person that was given all authority in heaven and earth, and he is now the king of the universe. So that is called resurrection theology. Because he's resurrected, he's acting differently. He's not going to the cross anymore. He's done that. That's been taken care of. He's not acting that way anymore. So the, how is he moving on the planet right now? How is he moving now as a resurrected king? What is his intention? Now, if you, if you don't understand this, you're going to keep reading the Gospels and seeing him constantly going to the cross and dying for our sins, and we're going to think that's the end of the story. But Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's doing something completely different. Don't miss this. Because a lot of people come to the cross and they stop with the conversation about what Jesus is about. Jesus has done that. He's been raised from the dead. He is doing something completely different right now. And if you're going to follow him, you have to get on his page. What is he doing right now? And it's going to tell us this in Act, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24 through 26. So let's look at it. So it's talking about the resurrection. It's talking about the end. And it says, and then the end will come when he will deliver up the kingdom of God the kingdom to God and Father. And then it says, it gives you, what is he going to be doing until that time? This is what he is doing now. And it says this. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. So he is going about what? Abolishing all rule, all authority, and all power that is against the kingdom of God. He is actively, as a king, the best way to describe it is like this. He's a warrior king. So as a king, he is actively coming against any ruler, any power, and any authority that is resisting the kingdom of God. That is what he is doing. That's what you get to do. Now, I'll give some description for it. But most, most Christians think, well, my job is to just get people saved, help them, you know, work out their finances, all that. That's part of it, but the reality of it is, is Jesus is actively coming against evil in the world right now. And he's using you to actually come against it. So, you ready to sign up for 2021? To be following him, he's going to put you near evil to deal with. Does anyone want to say yay? Yay. <laughs> and so, he's going to make you observe evil. He's going to make it have an effect on you. It's going to probably disgust you more than any other person on the planet because that's where his heart's at. He's sick of it, and he's going after it. And if you're going to follow him, you get to go into that battle with him because he wants to win. In fact, he's planning on winning. So how many of you, uh, I guess I should ask this. This might not be a fun question. How many of you like spiritual warfare? Okay, well, it's like five of you. Okay, good. If you don't like it, the reason why you don't like it is because it either feels like a waste of time or it gets me out of God's love. But you have to realize that that's where Jesus is at right now. That's where he's expressing his love. And it brings great joy to him to destroy evil. It brings great joy to the Lord to see people set free. It, it Really, that's why he's seeking the one out of the... The 99 are fine. He needs to go seek the one. Because he can't stand people that are created in his image to be oppressed. 
And so he's after that. That is the idea here in the resurrection. What is Jesus actually doing? He's, we know one thing he's doing. As a king, he's taking on evil, but he's doing intercession all the time. And so you get to be pulled into intercession, and you get to realize that he extends his throne through intercession to suppress evil. And then you, you, you begin to realize, wow, I'm a king, but I'm also a priest. And so in the kingdom of God, to express power and authority, I've got to be a priest and a king to express it properly. So I have to learn to hear the heart of God, to get the authority. And then as a king, I, I rule, I express power through. And I, I'm about what the Lord is about. Let me go back to Africa and then we'll finish this. So I told you I went to Africa, the Lord start, I showed, the, the two men did this. The second time I went back, we started doing meetings, and the power of God started coming even more the second time. And I, again, shocked me. I thought the first time was enough. We, we went, we'd present the gospel. Instead of hundreds of people, we had like more hundreds of people starting to come to the Lord, and it started affecting the city that we were in. I've never seen the power of God affect a whole entire city before, that you could visibly see it. At one point, um, the, just to show you how fun Jesus is, we started the meeting. I was going to teach. Uh, who knows what I was going to teach, but I was going to cover something. And the Lord says, no, don't talk about that. Pray for the sick. And I thought, well, okay. And the very first person we have to pray for is a guy that's been shot in his back with a shotgun. So he's crippled. Hasn't walked like, I don't remember how many years it was. He comes up, the power of God, I mean, talk about just going, wow, Jesus has authority. Just watching the power of God come on this guy and starting to restore his back when he was crippled because of a gunshot. It so affected this guy in the audience, watching this guy get healed by the Lord, that he, he broke down and just started sobbing. Now, I'm used to that. I don't know why people do it, but I'm watching this guy sob to find out he's a politician in that region. And he got saved. He stands up in front of everybody and says, you guys all know that I've been serving the devil as a politician. And, everyone, and the audience is going, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, and I've, I've met Jesus. And I, I'm his and I repent. And I mean, everybody just broke out in joy. That's the idea of the kingdom. Not only did he get saved, he followed us around the rest of the time we were there. And, and we didn't have to take him through 10 years of Christian theology. Somehow it connected in his head. If I know Jesus, I probably ought to serve him. So he just followed us around and started serving people. And he'd stand up and just start telling his testimonies. You guys know I'm the politician in this region and how I've served the devil faithfully. And Jesus came and saved me. And he would just, I mean, let everybody have it. It was powerful. Now... As we're watching him do that, every time the gospel is being preached, it, it's like, I, I've never seen anything like this. It was either like a sickle or a powerful wind would just go through the audience, grab a bunch of people, and they would just rush the stage as fast as they could to get saved. You know how we do it in the United States? Remember Billy Graham? Okay, so you need to get saved, come up. And then you, you wouldn't see anything for a while. And then you'd, you know, we're going to keep playing this song. And you five minutes into it, and finally three or four people. It wasn't anything like that. It's like we just, we'd barely say something like, well, it's time to get saved. And by the time we just say, it's time, 
It's like this shaking would happen, and the crowd would just be shaken free, and they'd just rush the stage to receive the Lord. It's just so powerful. It's so powerful. At one point, um, I'm backing up. At one point, we invited the power of God, and this guy got hit by the power of God. He said it was like electricity went through his body. He was crippled. He just kind of throws his cane up in the air and says, I'm healed. No one even prayed for him. Just the power of God showed up. And when I tell these things, I'm not telling you these to make you jealous. Wow, I should probably go to Africa. I'm doing it to make you jealous for another thing. This should be happening here. Here, in this town where you guys live. That's how powerful God is. And if you're wondering what, Brian, you're telling us about Africa, have you ever seen this in any other nation? Absolutely. Uh, I was invited to work with a group up in the Smoky Hill, Aurora area for several years. They wanted us to come to preach the gospel while they were giving out food to people, and so we did. We preached the gospel and prophesied over people and gave words of knowledge, and, and we would present the gospel. Wasn't it funny? People don't realize how powerful the gospel is. We're so used to it, we think, oh, that, you know, I'm used to it. We'd preach the gospel. The power of the Lord would come in this room with a whole group of people that have never heard it before. And we'd have, guys, this is Denver, Colorado. Okay, I just told you about Africa. We'd have people stand up. I, I, this one guy was really funny. He stands up and he's trying to grab heaven. I've never seen someone in the United States do that before. And he's trying to grab it and he's sobbing uncontrollably because he wants to get saved. And that was going on every time we showed up and presented the gospel. So... Let's now give you the tools of the kingdom of God. Here's the, here's the joy of it. God has given you the power and authority to do this. You've been called to preach the gospel. The gospel itself, the good news of Jesus, the kingdom of God, is so powerful. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but one of the things he told me in Africa was our culture tries to shame us not to present the gospel. It's not your job to make everyone in the country happy. Your job is to present the gospel. It does its own work. I could give you hundreds of stories on how terrible I've presented the gospel and watched Jesus bring people into the kingdom. It's not about your eloquence. It's not about your degrees. It's not, Jesus didn't have any of those kind of people to do this. He had fishermen that didn't have theological degrees telling stories about Jesus and people getting saved from those stories. That's who he has today. If you get a degree and you think, now I have this piece of paper because I studied five books, now I'm ready to do it, you've missed the beauty of the kingdom. Jesus doesn't need you to impress anybody with pieces of paper. He needs you to get out there and present the gospel. So the gospel itself is powerful, we see from Scripture, to save people. It should be being given all the time. I am always giving the gospel to people. Always. And your whole life should actually be the gospel. Wherever you go, you should be presenting the gospel. Now, I don't believe in a silent witness, just so you guys understand. I don't even know what that means. The word witness actually means someone who gives a testimony, so how can you be a silent witness? So the Bible doesn't have this idea of a silent witness. You live your life godly to grab people's attention, but you've always got to present the gospel. The second thing is, God has given us the power of healing the sick. Driving out demons. Dealing with incurable diseases. And my favorite one that I'm still striving for is raising people from the dead. 
Don't you guys think it'd be really fun, instead of worrying about how bad everything's going to be this year, if Jesus just raised someone from the dead in this region, wouldn't that just be all kinds of fun? You know how much information and excitement would go through the whole entire body of Christ and the unsaved if Jesus just started doing resurrections? Well, when he was raised from the dead, part of it was to be the king of kings, but to show resurrection is what I'm about. So, you guys ready? Some of us somewhere have to get excited about trying to raise someone from the dead. Stop being afraid of death and go, this is a great opportunity. Let's start raising people from the dead. Now, do you think I crap? Let's find someone that's about to die. Let them die, and then let's practice. <laughs> so, if you, if you don't see that as that's where you're to go, you'll never expect it. You'll, you'll not, you won't be ready for it. You'll think death, you're defeated by it. You'll have some wrong theology where you'll think, well, yeah, they did that in the beginning of the New Testament. And I know some super spiritual people that have had one person raised from the dead. Guys, preaching the gospel and raising people from the dead are in the same category that Jesus preached. He didn't say each one of these are harder. He said this is what a Christian does. A Christian goes and raises people from the dead. I'm getting the most interesting look from you guys. <laughs> to reiterate it again, and then we'll, we'll finish up. If Jesus was raised from the dead, death is nothing we should be afraid of. In fact, in the day and age we live in now, because of the mass hysteria of fear over death, we should be the people that should be literally laughing at that and going, if my time is not done, I don't care if I die, I'm going to be resurrected. And you don't need to be afraid of it if your time's not done either. You have an appointed time. I don't care what's going on on the planet. If it is not your time, you will not go. And God wants us to stop being afraid of something that he says we have victory over. You have victory over death. Remember, you're to rule and reign. What's your last enemy? What's his last enemy? Death. What did he do when he was alive? He raised people from the, death to, from the dead to say, this does not have authority in my kingdom. All right. Let me just show, uh, I wasn't going to do this. I was talking with Lee. I think I've shared this. If you've been with me before, I do share this information, but I usually don't share the information. In December... I go home for three weeks and just relax. This December, about, a, about 11 years ago, the Lord started this thing. Instead of me watching the Christmas Carol, all of a sudden I found the Lord would come and start talking to me about, hey, here's what's going to be happening next year. Here's what I want you to pay attention to. You're to teach on this. Well, I went home this, this Christmas break. I get off my last trip from Minnesota, and my, my um, focus was to re- renovate my one of my bathrooms so I'm tearing walls out putting tile up and all that fun stuff and we're getting close to I know the net, uh, last week I was like well I'm getting ready it's time to go to Colorado the Lord really hasn't had a conversation with me about what's coming down the pike so I'm asking the Lord hey what's coming down the pike in, the, in this country what do you want me to know what's, what, where are we moving you guys when I share this with you Test and weigh it. And what I mean by that is test to make sure it's the Lord. 
And then two, when you weigh it, you ask the Lord, if that's a true word, what am I to do? How am I to live in regard to this? What do you want me to do in response to this? So here's what the Lord was sharing with me about this next year. Some stuff about the country, some stuff he's planning on doing, some stuff I'm to pay attention to. First one is this. He told me that he is going to shake the government of our country so severely that they will not be ready for what's about to happen to him. And he said he's doing it intentionally because he made a covenant with this nation to be the light on the hill. They've come against that, so he is now going to move against that, and he is going to now start shaking them until leaders come back to the original call that Jesus has given them. He is going to shake them to where they cannot stand until they do it. So, guys, you better get ready for what's coming. The government is going to be shaken by the Lord intentionally because of a covenant he's made with this country. And if you're going to watch things that are going on and be shaken by that, you're missing what the Lord is doing. Remember, he's Lord over this nation. He had a plan for this nation. If people are going to rise against it, he is going to shake it until he gets what he wants. So you don't need to be afraid of it. He's announced, I am intentionally going to shake this until they become the light, the city on the hill. Do not be afraid of it. That's what he told me. Don't be afraid of that. Next thing is, is he said despondency has been released in this country. And he basically said he's tired of it and he's going to deal with it this year. He's tired of people being in despair. He's tired of people wanting to give up and, and wanting to end life as they know it. They've lost hope. And so he, he showed me it as a river. He said this, this river has gone through this country. And he said, I'm just going to clean it up. I'm not going to allow despondency to be a part of this country anymore. So the Lord is going to move against that. The next thing that he told me, I'm going to focus on it the rest of the year, but I'll just share it with you. He told me, Brian, it's very important for you to gird up your loins with truth. Now, any of you studied that in Ephesians? That's part of the armor of God. But that, that girding up your loins with truth is really important. Because truth isn't just an axiom or a statement. Truth in Scripture leads to something. So what does truth lead to? Well, in Ephesians, truth leads to girding up yourself with truth. Actually means to prepare for battle. So the only way you can prepare for battle is to know the truth. In Ephesians, that's what it's talking about. But also, when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, when he says, I am the truth, he's not making a statement, this is a fact, I'm not truth, propositionally. It's what, how God views the word truth. The word truth means not just information, it means to lead to something. So when he says, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth, or I am the way, truth, and life, the word truth there means to awaken to God's eternal purpose. So when he says, you need to gird yourself up with truth, he's saying, you need to prepare yourself and get yourself in truth, and you need to realize there's an eternal purpose, and that's truth. You need to gird yourself with that for us. It's an interesting year. We have got to start listening to the truth. Would you guys agree with me on that? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Bring your power and your presence. Release your goodness over us, Lord. 
We ask that as we move into another year, we trust you as king. We trust what you're doing. And we thank you for your rule and your reign. We come into agreement with you. Advance your kingdom, your way. Get us in alignment with you, Lord. Anywhere where we've been influenced by disillusion or fantasy, we ask that you would set us free from that. Wash us. Release your power, Lord. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I break the power of oppression off their hearts and minds, and I release hope over them again. Right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.